Animal Fire Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast. This week, the week of April 24th, this is FDIC week. I know so many don't ever make it out to the show, but if you do, come find us. We're in booth 13073 in the main hallway. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to chat with you. We're going to be podcasting from the booth in conjunction with the 2448 podcast from High Viz Lighting. We are going to have such a great time. we got a project in the works with Rev Group. we got a project in the work with Mercedes Textiles and a few other manufacturers as well. This is going to be a banner week for us at National Fire Radio. We are fired up. Anyway, welcome back to the podcast. And this week during FDIC, we're going to bring you content live from the show as well as our scheduled programming. So we're not going to miss a beat this week. While we're working the floor in Indianapolis, we want you to still enjoy the podcast. Give it a listen. Thanks for the support. And we appreciate everything that you've done. Like, share, subscribe to the audio channel that you listen to. And do me a favor, tell somebody else about the podcast. Because, man, without your help and support, we're not able to grow. And you guys have pushed us to get better, be better, and we appreciate that support. So... I'm going to shut up and get off the FDIC. This is the week of April 24th. Enjoy the podcast this week, and we appreciate your support. We'll check you later. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. This episode's brought to you by Teledyne Fleer. Teledyne Fleer is the creator of thermal imaging in the fire service. This year, 2023, is the 10th anniversary of the release of their K-Series thermal imaging cameras. Back in 2013, the K-Series was launched to specifically target firefighters and making their job more effective and efficient by using thermal imaging technology. Ten years later, they're bringing so much more to the table with a multitude of cameras that help you on the situational or tactical decision-making. They make a camera for every position on the fire ground. Check out Teledyne Fleer. They bring so much to the table in the world of thermal imaging. And at FDIC this year, 2023, you can find them in booth 443 with Teledyne Gas and Flame, as well as you can find them in their partner's booths, 1201 with Team, 3457 with Darley, and of course you can find them at the Whitmer Fire Store, 110 and 111. Look for Teledyne Fleer this year at FDIC 2023. Ask them to show you the product and talk about thermal imaging because it is the technology that pushes the firefighters forward. Anyway, Teledyne Flair, a great sponsor and a part of the National Fire Radio platform. This episode's brought to you by the 2448 Podcast. If you're a first responder with an entrepreneurial streak, check out the 2448 Podcast. Hosted by Sam Massa, who built lighting company high-vis LEDs. During his off time, he serves as a volunteer firefighter and professional EMT. Each week, we tell the stories of different first responder-owned businesses, from small startups to food trucks to companies like National Fire Radio and Fire Department Coffee. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts, go to the2448.com for more information. That's www.the2448.com for more information about this killer podcast and if you're coming to fdic this year join us in booth 13073 right by the entrance in the main hallway where national fire radio yes us in conjunction with the 2448 podcast will be teamed up for live shows throughout the duration 
of FDIC. It's going to be a killer week out in Indy. Join us at booth 13073 right in the main hallway where you come right into the convention center. We're going to be right there live broadcasting throughout the week. Come see us. Guys, thanks for checking it out. Check out the 2448 podcast. And now, without further ado, the daily episode. Hey, everyone. Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is going to be a lot of fun. Walt Lewis, the assistant chief out of Orlando, Florida, the founder of the one of the founders of the Fraternal Order of Leatherhead Society, the Fools, which we all know. His big brother, John, was on the podcast a few weeks ago. He's a New Jersey native. He's a task force leader for Florida Task Force 4. And the list goes on and on. Walt, thanks for joining me, brother. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. So this is cool. Um, I've known your brother a very long time. Um, the podcast was a lot of fun with him uh, to catch up. I haven't spoken to him in quite some time. Had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. And then I had the pleasure of uh, being your roommate in Maine a few weeks back. And we spent right. the weekend in a condo together, yet we never saw each other once. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that worked out. That uh, We were like two ships in a night. Did you even sleep in there? Like, did, did we? I, like, I don't, I don't know how this happened, but like, I didn't hear you or see you the whole time we were there other than in like the classroom or at the conference. It's pretty funny. I, I I had to say the same thing. So, I mean, there were so many great people there. It was hard to run into everybody you wanted to. Yeah. So you had your group that you were hanging out with. I had my group. Uh, I know the one group that went down the street to do the after party after your awesome speech that Friday night where you taught yeah. everybody's class. Uh, did you cut out on that? You weren't even in the room when I gave that, were you? Uh, I was dealing with some uh, work issues. Yeah. So I was calling back to the firehouse. But I got the updates because every time I come back in, every 10 minutes I'd come in, you were, talk you were teaching everybody else's programs you know, in just small snippets. So I would go back out. So that's why we all offered you our programs. You did such a great job. Oh, here we go. <laughs> wow. You know, I we so got to start off strong. I had no idea. I felt so guilty. Like I had no nah, idea. Man, you, were there for, you were there to fire us all up, you know, and, and you did a great job. hundred percent. But I didn't know that like uh, Jay Dixon and Rich Driscoll's program was very similar in a lot of regards. I had no idea. So the next morning I'm sitting in their class and I'm like, oh my God, they, I thought they were busting my chops the night before. Oh, Jeremy, thanks for stealing our class. And I go, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you did a nice job. Then the next day You'll I'm find sitting, out tomorrow. oh my God, I felt, <laughs> I wanted to like climb in a hole in the corner. I was like, oh man, this is bad. But I mean, ultimately the message is this, right? Push the job forward. Let's, let's get, Absolutely. let's get excited. Let's get fired up. That's why they brought me in there that Friday night to fire people up. Hopefully I did my job. I think I did. And the message is powerful, right? Like let's be excited Absolutely. about the fire service. What it's all about, man. Absolutely. You started off strong and they had a great message too. And yeah. you know, anytime you're doing any teaching and stuff, somebody's going to, you know, there's very little new under the sun, right? Well, that's it. So you're, you're going to end up saying, somebody's going to say something or maybe present it and then, you're going to present it a little different from me. Maybe my message connects a little better. They did a great job of having enough flexibility and content that they, pre they presented their own program and their own different version. And exactly that. If you heard it twice, great. It's better than hearing it. Not at all. Yeah. And it was different versions. And some guys were in the room when the other guy wasn't. So it all worked out great. Yeah. But yeah Rusty took great care of us. He I crushed, love the condo he that he set us up in. Oh, those guys are phenomenal. I'm going back next year. I'm going to sign up as a student. I'm going to try and wear like a mustache or something, sneak in. Yeah, right. So nobody sees me and uh, just soak it all up because I love being in those environments. But uh, yeah, I had no idea you were there. I came in, brought in my suitcase. <laughs> this is pretty fun. And I, 
I snuck into what was going to be the smaller of the two bedrooms. I'm like, yeah, I'm just my first time here. I just, and I don't want to make, leave a foot. And I go in and you've already conquered that room. Of course, man. I'm, I'm like, not taking the well, big room. You're, you're a chief, man. I had to salute yeah. you. Like when you walked past you're an me, are you kidding me? You got seniority. Yeah, chief that's a whole different animal. Are you kidding me? Get out of here. I'm like, Walt Lewis is here and I'm rooming with him. I'm like, Oh, I got to get this guy in a podcast to begin with. Right. So I was like, well, I better take the small room. I'll butter him up, you know, and this and that. And I ended up not even seeing you the whole weekend. So not apparently, a well, apparently it worked. Yeah. But I didn't bring my brass with me. So, you know. <laughs> I love that. Well, listen, but, man, thank yeah. you. Thank you for joining me. But I did enjoy sitting in on your class and um, and hearing a lot of your message. And I know it was a scaled down version of it, but it was pretty powerful. And um and thank I wanna you. I wanna get to that and and your message and a lot of what you talk about. But I kinda wanna just start at the beginning too, right? I mean, you got a lot of a lot of accolades under your belt. Um, being an assistant chief of the Orlando Fire Department currently, just uh, you said promoted within the last few months, um, that's got to be pretty exciting because Orlando's no small department. I mean, this is a this is an urban department that has plenty of uh, big town and little town problems, and and you're there and in an assistant assistant chief position, man. I mean, you're wearing every hat, right? So. I want to get to that, but I want to find out the roots, like how you got to where you are. I mean, accolades like being an assistant chief of a busy department, being credited with being one of the founding members of the Fools, which I think is just wild, and I want to talk about that. And then everything else that you're involved with. I mean, obviously, it's a lifestyle and a passion for you. Where does that all come from? Well, it, it goes way, way, way back. So in my intro in that program that, that you're mentioning, leadership yeah. points, uh, one of the first slides is me at four years old getting a pedal car, the firefighter pedal car, and my brothers, uh, Greg and my and John, yeah. who you hosted on the on the, uh, uh, on episode the show. one yeah. on three. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I had some great involvement young. So I was growing up around firefighters. and I, I didn't know any different. You know, I grew up with uh, garbage trucks and fire trucks, and I was going to do one of those two jobs because it was cool trucks and you rode on the back Hell and yeah. just uh, fire trucks were less smelly. So fire trucks seemed to be more appealing, but the volley firehouse was behind the neighbor's house across the street and over the railroad tracks, close proximity. It was just always a joy to go there. I always, and I'm glad they never gave me the door code because I had snuck in, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred times, but I'd always, we'd poke in, we'd look in through the windows and look at the fire trucks and the mystique and the romanticism of the volunteer fire department back then growing up. Sure. And in the early seventies, mid seventies of Jersey, it was, you know, it was a different time, different era. And uh, I certainly missed it, but Building on that and going forward, my brother, Greg, I remember him being a volunteer fire department, the excitement of the calls coming in. The uh, six o'clock whistle was the alert to be home by the third whistle. If you weren't, there was a wooden spoon involved. Oh, I love that. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> then, uh, you know, just John getting into the business as time went on. But my father was a police officer and a volunteer fire department. Yeah. And he was also a World War II veteran, he served in the 100th Infantry. Wow. And uh, served in Europe. Yeah. Uh, left out as a staff sergeant. Very proud of my father. And uh, for his time, he was 51. I'm now 51. And at, at 51, he had his last child. He had his third child. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little cautious these days. Uh, you know, I make sure I, I love my kids, but I, I'm not sure if I can start over with another one yeah, right now. Yeah, my goodness. Because at 62, he moved to Florida at a mandatory retirement age. And right. uh, Walt Lewis apparently is a change agent in many ways because his name is associated to legislation that had to change so that Walter Lewis, Walter A. Lewis could retire 
with having a son in the household so the pension could carry the benefits to his child who was still in the home. Is that, that had never right? happened before. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So somewhere in some annals of the New Jersey legislature, Walter J. Go. Lewis is listed in there, and for a good reason, I yeah, think. that's awesome. And uh, so moving forward, moved to Florida, 10 years old, and uh, my eldest sister, Jerry, had also moved to Florida a few months before with her family. And uh, so there's there's quite a quite quite a range. So if you allow me to elaborate, yeah, my oldest sister Jerry was being born when my father was going to World War II. I was being born as as Vietnam was ending. So That's wild. All in that span, my father had three kids. My mother had four. Yeah. But they had each had two and three when they got together. He was a police officer in town. He would see her and, and catch up with her quite a bit. And uh, ultimately, they started dating after their respect. She had gotten divorced. His wife passed away. And uh, they collectively brought the families together. It was like a Brady Bunch. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Exactly. Except <laughs> we didn't have the nine squares. We only had three bedrooms. Yeah. So everybody had to fight for a place to sleep. Yeah. And you're and, the youngest. Uh, I mean, you're the, you're the scrappiest of all. You got to fight oh, for yeah. your share. But the beauty of it was my brother's nine years my elder, my brother John, okay. and everybody else is beyond that. So when it got to oh, me were... getting older to do stuff, everybody else was moving out of yeah, the house, starting their families. So the blessing was I got a lot of my father's time, a lot of my mother's time that wow. I that they okay. didn't get because mm -hmm. they were always doing two or three jobs. So. Yeah. What was, you know, it, a, what was it like? I mean, so speaking about your father and how impactful he was on you and then having that time. But I have to think, too, your your brothers in the fire service, too, in that volunteer fire service, it had to be uh, a real impressionable time for you. I mean, I can only imagine being nine years old when your brother's 18 and he's a volunteer fireman. I mean, you got to be looking up at them and thinking like, man, these guys are it, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember running into guys, you know, that are that I still know now that I that I'm still connected to on Facebook that I have no idea, but I remember the names. You know, I remember Al Carroll. Sure, I, remember I know Frankie, Al. Absolutely. Right, Hackensack. Yeah. Right? So, uh, and even the Crazier family, where Bill Crazier was killed in the Hackensack yes. Ford fire, okay, was good friends of my parents. They were in the Knights of Columbus together. So, and as you know, being in that Metro New Jersey area, much of that much, uh, you know, northeastern area, there's a lot of family rooting. Yeah. That has gone over hundreds of years. And when that happens, you have a lot of interconnectivity. And as a result, almost everybody knows everybody. And you might like them, you might not, you might, you know, might be related in some fashions. But uh, yep. there, a lot of people knew each other. And the town I grew up in, I couldn't do anything in that town before it got to my house, before I got there. Oh, I, I was the same way, man. My father was mayor. My father was police commissioner. I mean, like, he was a councilman. Like, I didn't stand a chance, bro. I yeah, the Dodge kids were fine. Yeah, 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 right. So there's I mean, no good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you are going to be did... the worst of the worst, or are you going to be good? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you know, we had to choose that that path. So hopefully, I chose correctly. I think I did. But I get I, that. I... And it, there was something about that though. That small town feel, man. That, I feel like that was so impressionable upon me, though. You know, and it's like that civic-minded household that I grew up in. My father was yes. always in the public service. My mother uh, volunteered for the ambulance corps for a few years because she felt that she needed to do something for the community. Like, and just growing up in a house like that, I'm sure your house was the same. Your father being a police officer in the town and so on. Like, it's just a different type of upbringing than a lot of my friends had. It, yes, but you know, go back to that time. You could live on one paycheck. That's correct. You yeah, know, life 100%. was a little simpler. Houses were cheaper. You know, most families had one car. Uh, we weren't didn't have the life, lifestyle of today where we brought up our need to have two paychecks, three paychecks coming into the house. But that, that's the way the world is these days. Yeah. But back then, absolutely, my father worked and he did two and three jobs growing up. I remember being a pump plumber's assistant and doing some of the other stuff, working security guards, doing certain jobs. But my mother, like yours, 
worked in the volunteer ambulance squad. She was a, a big advocate in that until we moved out of town. Right. And I tried to even join down here when, when the, uh, when she had the ability. Right. So that civic mindedness was always there. I saw it in the example. And, and as we grow up, we learn by modeling. That's one of our greatest influences, right? Yeah. So absolutely. we see the goods, we see the bads, and we see people that come out of broken homes as we label it. They tend to not, they tend to have a, a, a tough leg up to try and get into a better position. Uh, so, uh, I am blessed to have the opportunities I've been given. Um, you know, I'm disappointed when other people are given great advantages because of the rough life they have chosen for themselves. Now, sometimes they don't have an opportunity to go another direction. And definitely we need to help everybody we can. But for all those people that work hard, that push forward, that do a great job, you know, if rewards come to them, they've certainly earned them. And, yeah. you know, it's up to us to help everybody because everybody deserves a chance. So 100%. I've been given some great opportunities and, and I'm very blessed for it. Well, and but that's it. But I'm also a firm believer too, that you, you, a lot of the times you can make your own opportunities too. Right. And so, you know, I know people are, are given and afforded different opportunities, but you can also make your own also. And I think that Absolutely. that's important. And, and that's an important thing to talk about in the fire service is how you have the ability to make your opportunities. If you go about things the right way. Right. And, and so, Absolutely. so yeah, Good. So, so that, you, I mean, yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, so, so that's like my role today is to help people make those opportunities and help capitalize on their good decisions, you yeah. know, help them move forward, right? Because my time is finite with the fire department. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but absolutely. So everything from back then all the way to now has been choices that I've made. Not all of them been good. And I, you know, I, that's part of learn, living and learning. Hundred percent. But uh, that's that's the way life is. It's it's choices, and then also how do you manage those once they may not be the best that those for you, but given great opportunity, moved to Florida. A couple of years later, find out about what was called the junior volunteer program, just the same as a, an explorer program for the local fire department. And again, great modeling, great leadership uh, to be around guys like Cliff Dewey and uh, uh, Jim Stables and other mm -hmm. guys that advanced on to just be great mentors in the agency. And eventually uh, here I'm sitting on the hiring board with Palm Bay Fire Department. I went to fire school on their support and now I'm sitting on their hiring board. I'd scored really well on their hiring test. And, and here's here's five guys that taught me all through the Explorer program, the Junior Volunteer program, and they're saying, well, what, why should we hire you? And my answer back was, well, because you trained me. <laughs> so, I mean, what what better answer can I give them? Right. So all I could do is giggle. And, uh, you know, I, I got the job, and I was very blessed to have that opportunity. And Dave Green, the fire chief of the time, did a fantastic job of running the Palm Bay Fire Department out of the 80s into, or out of the, 80s into the 90s. Uh, doing what he did with his other support, Art Fawcett and Tom Connect and, and, and so many others, but making a small town, rapidly growing city into the fire department it was, but had four-person engine companies, five-inch LDH, frontline engine companies out of each firehouse. Uh, while they were kind of sparsely spread apart, he, he did a good job of setting it up so that it stayed started strong and stayed strong. And it still stands that way today. And Palm Bay Fire Department is a very good fire department. Um, you know, very, I guess great friends that work there. And I'm very proud to say I, I started there and my paid career. But going back even a little further. Well, when, beyond, it, when was that? Was that like the uh, 90s, right? Mid 90s? That, yep. That was 92 to 96 prior to Orlando. But before that, I, I was a volunteer in Malabar Fire Department. Okay. So I graduate high school. I turn 18. And, uh, you know, I, I want to do what they did. I can't be a, a volunteer anymore. The program kind of dissolved. But I wanted to be a, a I wanted to be engaged. Still. I still had that passion. Sure. I still, you know, I had the taste. So I got into the Malabar Volunteer Fire Department, 15 square mile rural, a lot of urban interface town, and uh, it was it was a mix. It was a bunch of couple of college kids. My best buddy Mike Stallings, 
and then later on a few others. Creed McClellan, his dad was a volunteer fire chief. He was a couple of years behind us, uh, but he would ride his bike up to the firehouse and we'd hang out. Um, Kenny Ireland, uh, Tom Redmond, Aaron Rhodes. And now you, you take those same names and you move forward 30 years. Now we're all assistant and district chiefs of our respective cool. agencies. Yeah. Me and Stallings has got on with Palm Bay together or my, my, uh, Mel, Orlando together. And Creed, my, one of my best buddies, he is, I relieve him in the morning running the shift. Wow, that's so cool. If you'd that's told us cool. back then, yeah, yeah we'd, you'd have told us back then what we'd be doing now. We told you we'd be smoking crack. But <laughs> Well, let but me ask you, so during that. during that time then, I mean, so the, the roots of New Jersey followed you obviously to Florida and, and the fire service bit you. And so you hopped in, volunteer, you get you get hired, right, and so on. Was yep. Florida in that time period, were they going through the the growth process? Like, was that, because I know there's been tremendous growth in Florida over the last few decades, right? So, like, was, was that an explosion time for Florida? A lot of people from the north moving down there and so on? Slowly, still that time period, a lot of folks are coming down to visit and going back home. Yes. So, you know, okay. COVID okay. is uh, the really big transition if you look at the number of years. Is that right? Five years ago, yeah. Pre COVID for two, three, four years, I'd have to be, I'd have to do the research to be exact. So don't quote me. No, yeah. But yeah. for the last five, definitely, definitely the last five, prior, maybe the last 10, we've had a thousand people moving to Florida each day. Wow. And that adds up quickly. They got to go somewhere. So some folks more densely populated areas than others, and that area sprawls out. Orlando is one of those areas. Uh, but in, since COVID and remote work and the technology, technological advances that yeah, have occurred, sure. people don't have to stay rooted to their host, their host home that has gone up in significant value. They can make a, a tremendous buck on and then move somewhere else that's more climate each day, each year. And, uh, you know, don't have to worry about buying several layers of clothes. They can buy pretty much t-shirt shorts and flip-flops yeah. and get through the whole year. Um, so we've seen quite a uh, population influx into Florida. And uh, Does that hold true for Orlando as well? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and that goes all the way back to Hurricane Andrew. Actually, there was a massive influx of a lot of the South Florida population moved to Osceola County. A lot of uh, the Spanish population moved out of South Florida because the devastation, there was no housing. So they moved north to rental properties and new cheaper housing in uh, south of Orlando, the Osceola County area. And that had a big influx of population. And it still has that flavor today, mm. uh, which is great because the food is awesome. Yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, but that's. But, that's pretty wild. But I mean, that's what builds a whole community is diversity, yeah. right? It's, it's a good thing. Well, that's it. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. So so yeah, definitely, you see the, the growth and the different areas. What I do wish and, I, and I, that I love about going back up north, and I, I make pilgrimages, pilgrimages pretty often. Actually, I've made it one or two so far this year, going up again and twice in the next uh, two months. But it, it's those ethnic areas. You know, you got the, the Polish area that's got the, the, the Polish restaurants with the, the good food, the German towns, and, yeah. and you know, just the different communities that have that richness and culture. And that's what I miss about growing up in Jersey because I learned so much about the different cultures that you just know because you're around them. You're, in, you're with the other kids in school. And not to go off on a, a societal tangent. No, do but, it, please. Uh, you know, we – where we start to fail as a society is we don't respect and embrace the other cultures because they're different, but God put us on the earth for good reasons and didn't want it because we want, you know, did make us all the same because we're bored. You want to be bored, but having those different influences, I grew up knowing some of the Jewish culture yeah, uh, and the Lithuanian culture and Italian culture and so much. And I knew it, it was all just different, nothing bad. And that's the blessing that I give to my parents is they never taught hate. They always taught that, yes, and we had a lot of friends. We would go down to the Maywood pool 
and we sat amongst lots of different people and we went to dinners at different houses with different people. We celebrated Passover and even though we weren't Jewish, uh, you know, we, so we had a lot of, uh, I give my parents a lot of credit for being very good Christians, even though we were Catholic and Lutheran and there was always a battle as the witch church we were going to that day. <laughs> they had a good upbringing for, for some yeah. of the kids. Now, it wasn't a perfect household. Don't quote me on that. You know, there's plenty of stories for me and my brothers and sisters to sit around and call it therapy when it's, we tell stories. It's all part of the upbringing. I mean, but it's part of the upbringing. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, I, I you but know, it, I'm very, yeah, I, I agree with you. I was actually at a technical high school today down in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, meeting with um, a program director there, and they have kids that are there for emergency services program. And the class was incredibly diverse. It was almost, uh, there were a lot of females, a lot of different uh, races, ethnicities, um, and so on within the class. And I, I, we were talking about the importance of diversity because it certainly was very representative of what the fire service has become today, as well right. as the communities that we serve. And I, and then I started thinking about my kids, and and I was probably a little sheltered growing up. It was, you know, we didn't have a lot of diversity where I was, and uh, and now I think about my kids today in high school, my two youngest that are in high school. It's the most diverse high schools I've just like anywhere else. Like, and I grew up in those same high schools, but it was very different when I went there versus where they are today. My kids, like, diversity is not even a word for them. It's just life. Like, they don't, they don't know life, what right. diversity is because that's just all they know. And I think that is really how we move forward. That's how we push that needle forward. It's so important. I agree, and and that's what's kind of cool about this this up and coming generation. You know, it's yes. a that they know no different. Yes. So it's a it's a great amalgamation. Yeah. Right? I think it's the vision that we've all seen where we can do better and, and looking after each other and just allowing a good life to be had by everybody. Well, so bring that. Hopefully, bring that, hopefully to the, that prospers forward. Yeah. And bring that to the fire service. Right. I mean, in a position yeah. that you're in now as assistant chief, I mean, you're in a very diverse city. Right. And mm -hmm. and with that comes a very diverse fire department that serves the citizens of that city. And so, you know, you're looking at different ways, different opportunities, different cultures, learning different things, having patience, understanding, sim you know, I mean, all of that. And, and I just it, it it really is uh, it sums up like who you were growing up as a child, like the, the backstory you just told really must suit you well in the position you're in today. It, it does. It does. You know, and but it's also the people you surround yourself with. It's 100%. the circles you run and. Yeah. You know, it's perspectives. So yeah. a lot of that stuff. So, but so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Orlando Fire Department Assistant Chief here in a little bit. So uh, I don't want to steal too far fast forward. No, you're so. fine. Cause I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you how you ended up in Orlando. So, I mean, Palm Beach, right? And then from uh, Palm, Palm Bay. Palm so Bay. little, uh, okay. it's a small town. Well, not small anyway. Actually, it's about 100 square miles. Uh, it's about, uh, it's the southern end of Brevard County. It's about 30 miles south of where the shuttle used to go up. And now all the rockets go up, SpaceX and oh, Falcon 9 and all okay. that. So it was pretty cool. And during that time of growing up, I could walk in the backyard and watch rockets go up about every two weeks. It's like it's like these days where, you know, hey, the rocket's going up. My kids are like, yeah, we'll yeah, see the next one. Exactly. Um, whereas for a good while, then, you know, the whole program slowed down or shut down. And, you know, you, but back then it was very often. But uh, here I am in junior high and I watched the uh, Columbia disaster or the uh, Challenger disaster. Challenger. It was my birthday. Yes. January, uh, oh, really? Okay. January 28th. I was in third grade. No kidding. Yeah. I'll never so, forget it. Yeah. My, my, all right, so I got you, I got you by a couple of years, but it was not uncommon when a rocket would go off or a shuttle would go off that, uh, we'd be dismissed from class and we'd step outside, we'd watch and we'd you know, take a five minute break and go back inside. And, uh, much of the pro, much of the school had stepped out and, uh, nobody had seen, 
the proof of cloud and two rockets going off ever before and a lot of quizzical and back to the classroom and the principal made the announcement. And then that just changed the whole day, of course, Yeah. because that's going to have such an influence. Like 9-11 is going to have an impact to the Northeast sure. and the country, of course. Right. So a day like that's going to have an impact to the, the space area, space coast area. But uh, going forward, I mean, so being a part of Palm Bay Fire Department, uh, my my passion, my depth of wanting to know and do more and be engaged goes way back. Um, April 23rd, 1987, William Cruz shot up the town of Palm Bay. He went on a shooting rampage. Uh, he was frustrated with kids cutting through his yard. Uh, his wife was sick with cancer. He's trying to sell his house so he can afford the bills and just could not tolerate it anymore. He'd met his max really? and went over his overflowed, went outside with weapons and started shooting up the town, killed two police officers, this four was civilians. 87? 87. Yep. Okay. I was, uh, so April 23rd, I was not 16 yet. My father still had to drive me to the firehouse. And the only way I knew of any of this is I look out the window and I knew the fire department. I'd studied it so much, had so much passion. I see Rescue 84, which was a town bought, community bought ambulance and staffed with paramedics so that they had a better chance of getting advanced life support care. So here comes Rescue 84 going by on the major road that I can see from my window and chasing it is the command vehicle, which if that ambulance was going to a call, that command vehicle never went because yeah. that guy didn't go to EMS calls. So it had to be something big. I listened to the scanner and turn. I hear all these fire trucks engaged talking. I'm here. We're there. We're doing this. We're setting up. We're behind the Winn-Dixie. And all I could think of was Winn-Dixie's on fire. Holy cow. Dad, take me to the firehouse. So I talked my dad into taking me to the firehouse. And the only fire engine not on the call was staffed with one guy on the backup unit covering the whole city. And they're like, you're the only other person with a Palm Bay Fire Department T-shirt. Get on the truck. Are you kidding me? How old no, were you? We, 15. 15 years old. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was illegal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so awesome. they toned out the town of Malabar, sent the volunteer company down to backfill, and nobody called 911 for six hours, thank God, uh, because they would have got the worst of service. But uh, I think everybody was honed into the problem, and our town was under siege. And yeah. we had massive influence from Patrick Air Force Base, SWAT, Melbourne Police, all, all kinds of FHP, all these – because of a gunman in town, we had not really encountered Asher events or active shooter events sure. before, and two police officers were killed. But one of the greatest acts of bravery I'd seen were, were from some of the EMS service of that time. Now, the police officers did a phenomenal job of engaging the shooter and they couldn't kill him, but they captured and contained him, and he, and he stayed held up in, in the Winn-Dixie. And the police officers, one was shot through the microphone and was still trapped in his car, thought to be alive. And a, a deputy chief or assistant chief of Palm Bay Fire Department, Art Fawcett, one of the greatest stories. I love to share this because he deserves credit. Responded in a uh, to the parking lot, um, took off his badge, crawled or, or worked his way between the cars, got to the police car, put it in drive, crawled next to the car, and steered his car out of the line of fire. Took fire while he was doing it. And steered this police officer using his cruiser as a control vehicle to get him out of the line of fire to help render him aid. And unfortunately, he didn't win. He didn't live. But other wow. firefighters, J.R. Wiggly, Jim Stables, they drove that rescue truck that I talked about into the line of fire and rescued civilians that were hiding behind dumpsters that were going to get shot at or killed. And they popped the compartment doors open to protect themselves. And they took gunfire and they were head height bullet holes into those doors, but they rescued several people and got them out of harm's way. And that's the level of bravery that sometimes needs to engage. And that's times in your career that you may face or may not. But to go all the way back to that set the tone for me to need to be prepared for when my moment happens. I need to know what to do. I, I, you know, if I'm going to get into this world, 
I, I need to not fail. I need to do as good as I can. And my moment of failure came a few years later when I was on the Palm Bay Fire Department. And it's funny because my other counterpart, uh, so I'm B-shift commander. My A-shift commander is Creed McClellan. He's one of my best buddies, longest time. A guy I got hired with in Palm Bay is the C-shift commander. We're not that inbred, I promise. We just happen to be that impassioned into the business. I, I was reserving judgment. Go ahead. Okay. So I know people have to get a big joke, so I beat him to it. The, but he is, he's passionate about the business. He lived in the Orlando area. He came over to Orlando just before I did, and uh, now he's the C-shift commander. And I, he was my boss for a number of years. Great guy to work for, Gary Fossil. So he and I were on this given call. It was a pair of guys, fishermen in a canal. And there's a lot of canals in the Palm Bay area. It's a lot of low-level drainage. Right. So the water's got to go somewhere. It goes to these given canals, and there's outflows. And at this uh, spillover dam, these two guys lost power in the canoe, lost the paddles, and they got pulled into a hydraulic. And we got summoned to come help, and we didn't know what to do. It was chaos. Yeah. They couldn't turn off the, the dam, and we watched these two guys drown right in front of us. Oh, my God. And we probably had three plans going on at the same time, probably all three good plans, but they were not all the same three plans. So it was chaos. And I left that scene demoralized. Just yeah. uh, I just, you know, w we should have done better. And I started asking questions. And the answer was, was well, well, we'll try better next time. There was no follow-up training. There's no, we're going to buy new equipment. We're going to do this or that. There's probably a couple of meetings I'll never know about and some other training considerations that I'll never know about because of my engagement at the time. But that, those two early on uh, moments in life pointed out that the level of bravery needed and the level of training needed that has to get you to succeed in this business. And if yeah. you don't, and then as I fast forwarded even further, when I'm working for Orlando, I was part of the live fire tragedy in Osceola County with one of my best friends, Bart Simpson. He was the training officer down there, and he took the brunt and the, 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 the hardship of all this. He didn't deserve any of it. But to go through that, if there's three precipice moments in my career that will carry me to my grave, and I will have a regret from that given incident for sure, and that's something we can talk about later, but those three defining moments in my career, as well as the influences from my brothers and seeing them modeling and having them as resources to talk to and who they had, had engaged me with, I would be a failure to not capitalize on what I've been given. I would be a failure to not want to learn and if nothing else, improve my chance to be a better person than who I am at this business. But you, and as you, and as a person, I would be a failure not to want to share some of this, much to the detriment of the people that get in my audience sometimes. I, I get around the firehouse and I start preaching or talking and other stuff, and I get a couple of rolled eyes. I get a couple of guys that find something else to do, but I get a couple of guys that stick around, and I get some other guys that come from other rooms to come here, and I'll take that because if I can share something, that's a why because but, I don't want people to have the same feeling or guilt or other problems. But you could have walked away. Like Absolutely. In, inherently, like it has a lot to do with your upbringing and the person that you are, right? And when experiences and tragedy and things like that test you, you there's two ways you can go. I mean, you could shut down and walk away, or you can take ownership and make yourself better and make sure that you make everyone around you better, right? And for sure. So and and that's so that is a lot of who you are, though. I mean, it's you know those are moments that were very pivotal for you. But without that support network and, and foundation behind you, you would never have been able to take what you what you endured and turn that into positives and it's triumph over tragedy, right? And and so For like, sure. Yeah, that's powerful. For sure.
This episode's brought to you by Fast Rescue Solutions. Fast Rescue Solutions was created with the mission to develop products and training that surpass currently accepted industry standards and that meet the operational challenges of the real world. Their mission is, always has been, and it always will be to revolutionize rescue and save lives. Fulfilling both the mission and the vision, the Fastboard is a disruptive technology in rescue. Invented by 28-year Philadelphia firefighter Eric Allen, who has over 20 years in the Philadelphia Fire Department Special Operations Unit. Nationally, the average time for rescuing a downed firefighter is 15 to 20 minutes using five or more members. The Fastboard has the ability to reduce that time to five minutes or less using only two to three members, which is 500 times faster than the national average. Originally designed to get a fire down, firefighter down and out of a basement, the Fastboard has been proven effective in nearly every rescue situation. RIT can find space, trench and ice water rescue, hazmat, mass casualty, and the list goes on and on. Its simplicity and versatility make it a game changer. I've been calling it a game changer for the last five years, and it truly is changing the way firefighter removal and rescue and civilian rescue is being done. Come find them at FDIC. Uh, they'll be at booth 13120 in the Capitol Corridor. Also this year, it's known as Firefighter Road. There's a ton of firefighter-owned businesses out in that Capitol Corridor. That's where you want to be, supporting our own. Stop in and see the crew from the Fast Rescue Solutions for live demos and meet the tribe. Their tribe, there's nothing better than that. This is tried and true brothers and sisters that are into the game, and they are making the job better join them wednesday thursday and friday of fdic week from three to five in the main corridor and you can have a cold one with them for happy hour come down meet the crew let them know who you are and let them show you why they're changing the game fast rescue solutions changing the game in the way we're protecting our own and the civilians we're sworn to protect check them out and, and you know, and, and there's some folks that 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 go over their cup, right? That's or yeah. their the bucket is full, right? And then they don't have that same support mechanism, or it's just it's too much, too powerful, and it's too much to be able to come back and turn it into a positive. But you know, there there's some folks that don't even meet that halfway threshold and are ready to give up. And for those folks, maybe they need to look at it a little different. You know, realize I need a little recovery time, but I can make a, something positive out of this because. We're, we're given plenty of lessons we don't realize, and we're supposed to teach, you know, share these things. Um, and I'm a, a strongly believe God does a lot of this, you know, yeah, he I puts it all there for us. Yeah. Uh, but if we don't recognize, we don't advance on it, we don't capitalize it and help others, we're failing in, in his message, right? Yeah. So, um, but having those influences, Strong. you know, I, I think back, uh, so stories passed to me by one of my favorite people on the earth, Mike Kelly. He's an assistant chief from Orlando Fire Department, one of my mentors, one of my favorite people. He uh, was the incident commander for our last line of duty death, December 2nd, 1972, where G. Calvin Bookhart rode down the wall of uh, the, the building next door to where our firehouse one stands now. And he was killed. Numerous other members were men, uh, injured. Another favorite person, Alan McAllister, was seriously injured. Uh, but all, all those people uh, suffered from that given day. But one of the coolest stories out of that was Denny Longest, uh, now sadly passed away, but his, uh, his grandson and son, his son retired from us. His grandson worked with us for a bit, went back to another agency, but is doing a great job up there. Uh, Denny Longest rode the building down, survived the fall, and the folks up in the bucket had the wear to it. 
to be one of the first RIT teams of concept and put water on the area to protect him until they could throw a ladder and rescue him from the rubble and the fire mm. and get him out of harm's way. It's an incredible story, but that's, again, another level of bravery that you have to be ready for and be able to have that capability of cognitive thinking in that time of stress. And some folks don't. Some folks blank. Some folks fawn, you know, flight, fight, and freeze, right? So uh, it's some of those things that we have as biological responses that we have to realize are going to be impacts to us. And if we don't, uh, they are going to show up and they're probably going to hit us when we get challenged and depends on how we act as to what, how we're we going to survive that moment. You don't and know until I, you don't know until you're tested. Right. So, you know, but the best way to be tested, you know, luck favors prepared, right? Yes. So, and if you're not prepared and it's even the psychomotor skills that need to be prepared, but, um, for those given moments of heroics, you know, the chief Fawcett going and rescuing the cop, the, the guys in the bucket, but out of that same fire, uh, one of the company officers had been on the previous tragedy where a firefighter was killed, then on this tragedy where a chief officer was killed, walked back to the firehouse, hung up his gear, and never came back. Yeah. And, and, and for some folks, they feel as though they're the black cloud that brings it to everybody else. They need to stop and then just find us something else. Even though they were good at the business, even though they had a great message, even though they are sharing some awesome messages these days. And there's a couple of friends that come to mind. And, you know, there's one in particular – uh, he'll know I'm talking about him without, I don't want to sure. drop his name, but he's got a phenomenal message and he, and I love that he's sharing it because he has some great messages to share. So I hope he continues to do it for the years on. Yeah. Uh, but and he was a guest on your show. Um, okay. and he, uh, but those are the people that help us go through such a tragic business because we're, we're not coming here just for the firehouse and the camaraderie and the food. We, we're, we're going to see people on their worst day possible they're calling us when the tragedies happen now we're we're infiltrated with a ton of nonsense right so or what we categorize as nonsense you know the lady that needs her help getting off the floor uh but it's because of her husband of 50 years is has no longer have the strength and capacity to lift her off the floor and with his humility and pride swallowed he is asking for our help and to our frustration at two in the morning why is this important that we come there it's because he has to put his independent spirit aside and ask for help when he can no longer do it anymore. And we're all going to reach that point in our life, That's God right. willing. But so to go to that moment and to serve in that capacity, realize the value we can give, it is, it is almost as heroic as that of rescuing the child from the fire because somebody's in that harm's way and needs and is asking us as a human being, please help me. Yeah, it's powerful. Absolutely powerful. So, I mean, so much influence, so many things that have happened throughout your career. I mean, it has set you on this incredible path. We haven't even touched Orlando yet, but I mean, but but here's the Sorry, thing. Sorry, dude. I got forty four thousand word day minimum. And I know I, that I've been you, cooped up all you day. warned me before we started, and I don't, I don't <laughs> mind, brother. I don't mind at all. But I want to make sure that we hit some really, you know, great points and and so on. For and sure. So you know, for sure. progressing forward a little bit, you were looking for more. I mean, Orlando did Orlando offer you more opportunity? Was it what? What was it? Yes. Yes, on a couple parts. So uh, my pivotal moment in Palm Bay was uh, an off-the-road rescue. It was down in embankment. We had got trained up outside classes. And once we got done with a really challenging rescue, me, Mike Shervington, Shane Cameron, Brandy Hall, helped get rescue this victim off to the side uh, of a down embankment, getting berated by a command officer on scene in front of an audience and just because they didn't know any better. Yeah. And that was my frustration. You know, I, I need to go someplace that's going to give me a better opportunity. I love what I've been given here, but time to move on. Yeah. And my buddy, Mike Stallings, he was an Explorer advisor in, in Orlando. He's been talking about it. 
And nobody really ever left Brevard County and gone to the other side of the river, St. John's, to go to central Florida or work for Orange County or Orlando or even Tampa. Uh, but you know what? A couple guys had just left. Kevin Reck, Gary Fussell had gone and shown it could be done. And uh, didn't really like, you know, we didn't realize there's roads leading to Orlando until we drove them. <laughs> Ah, and then we it. showed up, we took the test, and lo and behold, get on the list, get hired up, and didn't look back. I've loved every minute of it. I love it today. I love the people I work with. I've been given a lot of phenomenal opportunities. Um, I haven't got a yes on every ask, every question I've asked. I've gotten a lot of no's. I've been, uh, I've, I got prejudged on quite a few things. And every once in a while, oh, that's Walt, you know, his head jumped out of gear. Well, <laughs> uh, I don't know about some of you guys, but my box that I get to make decisions in is pretty damn small. Yeah. And it gets smaller every day, and I got to constantly keep up with answers outside the box. Well, when I do, if it doesn't fit in the norm and they can't figure it out, I become labeled as the idiot, and I, I that frustrates me. I bet. So when I work with others that do come up with those out of the box answers or have other ideas or look for you know forward solutions, I embrace those and I challenge them. All right, great with this. Or when we have those in the box questions, all right. So what if this was not? What if there was no right wall to the box and it had to? have another answer. And I challenge them to do that. And that's a great influence of today. But to go back to 1996, I get hired up with my buddy, Mike Stallings and lots of other folks and start off on engine four, go to rescue one for a, a number of years, did five years on rescue one out of downtown. Uh, was partnered with Steinyman. I love having him as a partner. He, he's a legend in the Orlando fire department. The patch from station two is what's called a Steiny Taz. He had gone to a fire. The, ho the nozzle got shot off the end of the hose. It wasn't loaded properly. The nozzle fell off the end of the hose. Right. So instead of um, shutting down the line and getting another line and stuff, he cupped the end of the hose with his hand and pushed into the fire. No shit. Yep. And then <laughs> him and his partner, Rick Walker, driving back from an EMS call, smell smoke, circle the area, find a house on fire, call it in, run in un unprotected, rescue a bunch of kids out and get them there before the room flashes over and the kids would have died had they taken the time to dress out and go in. So it just – those challenging moments that are, you know, within the window of what you should do or maybe what you shouldn't do or, you know, put the, it, the these are the kind of people that are the fire service lens. And I got to work with a bunch of them in Orlando. And yeah. now my time is getting to a close with Orlando. So I'm going to savor every little bit that I've got. But all throughout Orlando, a lot of great opportunities. After Rescue One, went to the training division a couple of years. And that's where I ended up going to the Micklebeg tragedy in Osceola County. Um, from that, worked on legislation with the state of Florida. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the legislation was proposed, the class was put together and I got onto the committee. So I, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't that big of an influence, but I got to be on the committee that helps steer what is now our 40 hour live fire training instructor program. And it's had several iterations and advancements since, uh, buddy, Aaron Rhodes, I mentioned earlier, is a great proponent and, uh, help strongly advocate those positive changes that that has. So this way it stays a good training opportunity and it isn't closed out because nothing treats Nothing replicates a house fire like a house fire. Right. And if we strictly train and burn buildings, we will fail ourselves because all you're doing is, is playing in the playground. You're never going out on the play field. That's right. And you're not going to be out in the regular world. So there is that crawl, walk, run. But if you only stay in the crawl, you're never going to be ready for the run. And all you really, to me, you're, you're debilitating your people because you're going to put them in a sense of failure or you're going to give them a chance of failure because they're not going to be ready for the real environment. They won't know what to look for because it was such a sterile environment before. So because of that LFTI program, because of everybody's work on it currently to keep it strong, uh, we're advancing forward and keeping that still in the Florida inventory. But that's up to the agency to give. Um, and then moving forward a little bit, and prior to the live fire tragedy, while I was on Rescue One, 
sitting at Mike Gilbert's house in Merritt Island. Um, we're sitting in the backyard. He was best buddies with John Simpson. John Simpson, nicknamed Bart, yep. is uh, you know you know Bart, right? You I know you know all these guys. Yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah, he'd, he'd we, be great to have. I was dude. with him last year at FDIC. He came in and sat down with me for a few. We chatted in the booth. Um, we were podcasting at the booth, but I told him I do want to get got him a on great the show. Story yeah, too. it's only a matter he's of got, time to get him on. Yeah, he's got great stories, great life to share. Man, yeah. he is phenomenal. Um, but he is just so Bart was one of my training officers at Palm Bay. Gilbert was a few years ahead of us in, in Melbourne, and he was one of the mentors for Mike. So we all were palling around at the time, and we're hanging out in Mike's Gilbert's backyard. And we start talking about, we, you know, we keep taking these classes and doing stuff and, and going to conventions and learning, and it wasn't as prevalent as these these days. Uh, and, you, and you had to spend your own money to do it. A lot of people yeah. would call us, oh, man, you guys are a bunch of fools for spending your own money and wasting your time to go to these classes that you're not going to use. You're never going to use. You're never going to use a rappelling rope to get out of a house in Palm Bay. Well, if I ever need it, I will have it. So taking all these classes, doing all this stuff and getting nicknamed, Stallings picked up. He's like, fools, you know what? We, we need to embrace that. And he figured out the moniker. And we, it took a few minutes and a few beers to come up with the idea of the Fraternal Order of Leatherheads Society. And that's, and it, that's where it spawns from. But it was the passion that drove it. And we, we kicked around the idea. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was conventions what and year trainings? Was 96. 96. Actually, a little bit right around 96. Uh, and a little after. So you can go to the foolsinternational.com website, read yeah. all about our history right. and see our people and pictures and stuff. And now we got a great uh, leadership on there. Ben Flegel, actually, Ben just, uh, I don't want to brag too much about Ben, but completed a really phenomenal program. So, but check out all the people that are on there. If you're not part of a fool's chapter, if you want to stay passionate in the fire service, go to the website, look up a chapter near you, go to the left side, find your state, find chapter near me. And you will find a group of firefighters that should have the same passion as you because that's what we were born from. We were the 10 to 20% of the people in our agency, or not even that, that were loved the job, that wanted to learn, that wanted to train, that wanted to be better, but were ridiculed by the people that were truck drivers and ranchers and fishermen and everything else but a firefighter outside the business and it carried over into the fire department. And, that, and the fire, they treated the fire department like their day off. Yes. And they frustrated the crap out of us because – they didn't see the same stuff that we did. They didn't see they, some of those guys were on the same uh, fisherman drowning call that I was on, and they were fine with it, and I was not. Yeah. So I wouldn't tolerate that that degradation of that loss of life to let it to be devalued. So out of this, you know, these guys are creating something cool, and I jumped in. Kenny Ireland, Tom Redman, Mike Gilbert, Stallings, uh, Bart Simpson, and myself. We started the six. We started doing little conventions in Orlando. There's no way, would... there is no way sitting in that backyard and coming up with all of this and then pushing it forward that you could expect to, for it to grow in, into what it became. Not one bit. It, it advanced way beyond our dreams. Now, now kind and of it was quick. Well, it scaled quick, did it not? It, it, uh, yeah, it actually did. So yeah. really what, what helped propel it, and sadly, was uh, 9-11. Uh, we became a clearinghouse of information. We had the scrolling website where you had the chat room. Yeah. And that was where people were like, hey, how's this guy? He's okay. He's accounted for. And it says stuff like, what about Champo? He's okay. He's Mike Champo. He's good. He's right. Greg Einsfeld, oh, we haven't heard and stuff. And, and Greg joked about, uh, actually, he got listed as a line of duty and killed in 9-11. He's like, that's the easiest list I got on, the hardest one to ever get off. Jeez. Yeah. But thankfully, you know, of course, yeah. that, that he survived. But so many people lost their lives. And that was not, not one bit, the intent of our website, but it was an op it was a chance to share with people yeah. who was doing okay. And it was uh, definitely not a capitalization. Uh, we've been we've been approached numerous times to give our 
membership list to sell it out for uh, commercial purposes and have never done so. And right then was we could have made $100,000 around that time period. And that was back then. Yeah. So that's a lot of money back then to sell our uh, uh, membership list to just for commercialization. And, yeah. and we did not. So the, the interest is pure and, and it should always stay pure. So but it, it certainly grew quickly. A lot of people took interest in it. And the Ocean City, Maryland Fools uh, called some guys up there and said, hey, you know, you guys got to have you know, it's pretty cool that you got one big group of fools and it's national and there's a lot of places and stuff. But have you thought about making chapters? Because I, how do you keep up with everybody? And it's like, what a genius idea. Light bulb, yeah, light bulb moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they started the first chapter. Uh, and then we looked at it like the IFF. You know, there's going to be an overarching. There's going to be international. But then there's going to be chapters everywhere. Um, so and we set the bylaws. We, we went legit. We set it all up. Uh, we had financial consulting. Fortunately, uh, Mike Gilbert's brother, Matt, was a big influence in helping that get that squared away. Ellen Brown got into it with her husband, Dick. Dick was a, a retired captain from Hollywood, Florida, and she was uh, uh, in the police department. They were phenomenal with helping us get organized because you asked the six of us to organize a Yahtzee game. We're going to run up with three dice, you know, <laughs> so she was able to put it all together. Wow. Um, but she really helped us build it and create it to what it is. So she owes a, we owe a, a, a enormous debt of gratitude. Let me let me ask you this. I mean, the the group was built on a sole mission, right, of promoting one another and promoting the job, right? Brotherhood, training, and tradition. Yep. Yeah, and and so, those, so and the brotherhood carries over to any side. It's always just the positivity. Sure, and the tenets of that cannot get lost, right? And and were you were you guys at all concerned throughout the processes that? Like we really can't lose sight of what the message is because a lot of times when things scale, it gets a little loose and, and you can yes. lose your focus. Was there ever yes. that concern or did you, did you guys ever lose your focus? We did our best to write the bylaws. So that was always the focus. And then we'd get complaints every now and then we'd get a complaint from a member like, Hey, the five E board, we, I want to join, but there's no close by chapter. The one that is won't allow me to join. Yeah. Uh, the five of them have their own click and they don't like me and they won't join. So we have to investigate that sort of thing and find out what the story is and turn out, you know, uh, sometimes that's, that's the circumstances. That's it's five guys that don't like that guy and they won't let him join. And that's not what it's about. We got to educate. Uh, other times it's that other guy wants to use us as his commercial vehicle to sell his wares and yeah. just take advantage of us. And that's gotta be, you know, so there's 8 billion people in the world. Not everybody's nice. So we got to We had to set it up so that it could be as best as possible, but that's the whole purpose of the executive board. And uh, to have other assistants in there to help manage it and steer it in the right direction. But that's where the annual convention comes in very handy. It's a benchmark. It's a chance for the convention leaders to come together, for the executive board to come together, for the presidents and the executive staff of the given chapters and members at large to come out and to share experiences. And if we, we find that there's chapters that are not doing well or not following the, the guidance of what is determined to be the morals of the fools, then they're shut down or closed. Yeah. Uh, we've kicked people out. Uh, we've been party to lawsuits. We've been named because some groups uh, treat others badly or suspected as treated badly. And then we got to look into some of that stuff just to make sure it's pure to the organization. Yeah, right. And so, and, and almost every single time, uh, I don't, I don't know of one where any lawsuit has come to where we have done wrong. It's just because uh, when somebody feels uh, slighted or devalued, they cast a wide net. That's and right. everybody that's engaged, that's the yeah. way it's going to go. So, yeah. uh, and we got to protect ourselves, but 
Are you, the whole mission is to treat everybody the right way to lead the fire service the right way. Are you still involved? So I'm an I'm a executive board member emeritus. Okay. So I, f- I figured as uh, much. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm the old man in the room. You know, I just kind of <laughs> hang out. I got a t-shirt. I have but, to think, you know, great I, respects. It's got to be great respects of- to guys like. Bob Foss sure. and Ben Flegel sure. and Chris Bednarek and, you know, just other guys that are running the organization that uh, Rob Fisher's all over the place. I don't know how that guy's, you know, I don't think the guy has a house really. He says he lives in Vegas. I don't think he does. Well, I got to I got to say, it's got to be fun for you to sit back in the room with some of the original guys, you know, your buddies that you still see regularly. Right. I mean, this came from a bunch of guys sitting around having a lot of laughs and really enjoying what the job really was meant to be about. And uh, and then now you get to sit back all these years later and really look at what that has become. I mean, it's yeah. Look, I, I look know at Rusty Ricker with New, New England Fools. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. coming up to see that uh, what a great program. Everything they're doing, and I it, man, I was so enthused to come up there to see guys from the tip of Maine down to Boston. Yeah, everywhere in between, driving hours to Canada. come to this convention, hang Canada. out Canada. Yeah. To, you know, to come from all over to be a part of that. And then there's plenty of other chapters that are very similar. Palm Beach County, uh, they were a very active chapter. They're trying to get back to life. South Florida Fools, Mickey Texas down there, you know, got a lot of stuff, cool stuff going, firing people up. But that's the whole thing. It's passion. And it's going to be cyclical. You know, my engagement at certain times, I was the uh, the merchandise guy for a while. I was sending stuff out because I had the availability. And then availability wasn't there. Somebody else had to take sure. over. And that's part of it. But as long as the mission keeps going, that's that's the, you know as long as the we, the mission the message keeps going the mission is there. Right? I think what's I think what's incredibly powerful about it truly is I know for a fact that some of these fools organizations and their members I mean their members are eternally grateful that this organization existed. It saved their careers. It saved their friendships, their brotherhood, the the uh, camaraderie, the the love of the job. Like you know, so many people are in places, volunteer career where the job just doesn't get promoted like it should be, and right. people are always looking for something more. And and I I say this all the time about the fools organizations is that if you're in a department and you feel like you're at wit's end or it's a dead end or you just can't find commonality of people with the same passion that you have for firefighting, I promise you they're out there. You just got to go get them. And chances are the fools are an organization that certainly represents what you're looking for. Go get it. Absolutely. Go be a part of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And, and, the, and the challenge, you know, one of the questions that came up in the panel board at the Atlanta Fire Conference, we were doing a, a, a podcast for a, We're doing a podcast for sorry, I have no, an animal in my backyard. No I don't worries. even know what it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm scared for my life. Here oh, for yeah, a man, what is it? A gator? Uh, I mean, so, you know, Florida. Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, you know, yeah. Jesus, well, I'm a Florida man, so I can crazy. fight it. No problem. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow, you got New Jersey Devils, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, supposedly. Uh, <laughs> um, but so here we are doing the podcast, and one of the great questions uh with with Corley Moore for Firehouse Vigilance, uh, you know, another great message source. Sure. Uh so and he, so here's a great question that comes up of, um, you know, how do you sustain your passion when you're the only one that's passionate? And then, so for that, for the fools, it, it's find another one, yeah. find a somebody else, you know, another pee in the pod, and it might be in another firehouse on another shift. And if nothing else, the two of you pal up and go to classes together and somehow maybe connect. Uh, but if nothing else, it may maybe somebody else in your firehouse that doesn't know about the passion. And just be the source, be the lighthouse. You know, how many ships did not crash into a shore because the lighthouse was there? So be the lighthouse 
And sometimes you can steer some people in the right direction. And in plenty of days, that lamp, that lamp needs to be polished. The lighthouse needs to be restored. You know, all those things need to be done to maintain. And that's you. That's that time away from the fire service. And uh, one thing that I caution against, and it was a long time ago that I had to learn the hard way, is what I love about the fire service is everything about the fire service. But also my wife has done a great job of teaching me is it's not everything in my life has to be the fire service. Yeah. So my wife is phenomenal. My wife, Michelle, and my two kids, well, actually three kids, Riley, my eldest, he's 26. He's out of the house, living a great life in St. Augustine. But uh, my son and daughter are trapped in my house right now. They're 10 <laughs> and 12, uh, John oh. and Peyton. They do a great job of teaching me, reminding me that I need to play Monopoly and video games and guitar and stuff that's not firefighting. And I want to inspire them to work hard, to do what their passion is. And if they want to be passionate like their mom, who runs a fantastic wedding and floral events business, and does a, she impresses me tremendously, she, what she's done. But if they also want to be passionate like their dad and be in the fire service or in a service involvement, we will steer them in every way possible. But as parents, we want to push them in that right direction. But they ground us to remind us that it starts at home first. And with a strong home foundation from what my parents taught me, what my brother and my parents, other yeah. siblings taught me, yeah. that here I move forward. And I can do all those other things because of who I get to be here and that these people will always be here when I have my rough days, like today. I had a, had a fire last night. I had two great chiefs running the show. I, I had very little engagement. I, it was the first alarm fire. I didn't have to take it. I like going to fires. So I go to the fire, I hang out, and it was just a, it was a uh, dilapidated house, a two-story, and it would not allow us to get inside to do overhaul. So we had to set up a couple of tower trucks and fire watch overnight, and big hassle. I hate to do that under the troops, but it was a needed function. It's part of the business. But as a result, I'm up and I'm helping stay up to help manage things. So that means coming home and my family shifts their calendar because daddy's tired and I'm going to sleep for a couple of hours. Meanwhile, my daughter's sick and uh, she needs tending too. But yeah. she gave me the time I need because everybody understands each other's needs. That's right. And the love that is in this household. And that's a lot because of my family. So I can I, I wouldn't be who I am without them. I listen. I mean, all of that is so powerful, and it's and it's that just speaks to how important it is to be open, honest, upfront with your with your family and include them in in what you are and who you are, yes. um, and so on. I mean, I know that's very powerful. I heard you speak about your family uh, up in Maine when we were there, part of your class. You were, you know, you were just talking about that and how influential they are on you. Um, and I talk about it a lot too. If you're not good in your if you're not good in your life, you're not going to be good in the firehouse. You got to be you got to be squared away with your with your spouse. You have to be squared away with your children. And, you know, everything needs to be on the up and up. And you need to have uh, control of your life in order to have control at the firehouse. I mean, I'm a firm believer in that goes hand in hand. Oh, and a lot of the reason why we want to be good at this job is so that we have a better chance of coming home to them. That's right. So, you know, when that message is shared with them and they understand it. Now, my first wife, she was not so accepting to that. She it was it seemed like a competition and. Uh, you know, other things in our relationships changed so that it eventually sure. I went my direction, she went hers. Uh, and sadly, I, I didn't get to be there for my oldest son as much as I really, really wanted to. But uh, I certainly have lived and learned at a 51. I know a lot of lessons that I want to share with others to keep them from living the hard way. Yeah. But, you know, everybody got has to make their own choices. But I I'm very it. blessed in what I have. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's great. That's good to hear. So let's let's go down the road of assistant chief just a little bit then, right? So okay. how, how's that position? I mean, do you is it? I, I mean, it's got to be a lot of fun because I would assume that you are, I guess, the probably the, the citywide tour commander. Is that like what that position becomes? Yes. Okay. 
Yes. So uh, I have six district chiefs on shift. Uh, there's seven under my command. Uh, we have Kelly days, so one is usually off. If everybody comes to work and one extra uh, works in my capacity and I just oversee them to help guide them because some of them are on the promotional list. But most every day, uh, one is off and everybody works their respective roles. Districts one through six. And district six is kind of a translation of uh, what was our EMS one, who oversees our civilian paramedics. Everybody else has a responsibilities in districts. So we have two chiefs that respond to calls out of our house and then I'm the above for the citywide tour commander. I have 17 firehouses. But to be honest, the Orlando Fire Department has 17 firehouses and nobody works for me. Everybody works for the Orlando Fire Department and we all work for the citizens. Right. So my job is really, my job is to work for the chiefs and the chiefs are supposed to work for the company officers and we work down. That's the way it's supposed to go, really. That's right. But we, we've kind of changed that, that view. Some people, you know, outside of us have changed that view, but my perpetuation is supporting the troops so that they can be at the end of the nozzle, starting the IV, taking people to hospital, solving the problems. And they discover those problems and have the trust in that they have the support from their people above that when they see a problem, they can relay that problem, offer solutions, and we can empower them to change it or we can help change it with them. And that's what we should do to always make things better. And that's changing every organization. But as an assistant chief, my favorite part is I am one of three people in the world that get to be the assistant chief for the Atlanta Fire Department on any given day. Love that. I've got four other counterparts that serve as assistant chiefs in the fire department. Also, Jay Maddox is our computer and IT guy, and that does not sound like a very romantic position, but if he didn't do the job he did, That's we right. would come to a screeching halt, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. So he is phenomenal, and he's a smart guy, and I love his patience because he's got such a great dry humor. He definitely makes things happen, but – uh, our training chief, Aaron Rhodes, he just got promoted, went there. So excited because of, he is definitely training minded. He's going to make things great happen. Paul Pogger just retired, so he's you know enjoying a good life outside the fire department. But other guys in each capacity, Chris Bowen in EMS, Adrian Fernandez in our recruiting position, but Gary Fussell, Creed, myself, Creed McClellan, and myself, each get to be shift commanders. And uh, there's probably a thousand people easily that would trade roles with whatever they're doing in their capacities to take my job any yeah. given day. Yeah. And I try to keep that in mind. In the days that I get frustrated, I, you know, the change didn't happen fast enough. I didn't get a yes on of this. Uh, it didn't come through the way I like it. You know what? It, it's, it's still, this is the way it's got to go. This is the business. And sometimes I got to sell catch up to people in white gloves. That's right. I, I don't like having to sell policies that are going to be an, a, a challenge to our organization, but the fire chief has a vision and I have to trust in that vision. Uh, I have to trust that all the things that he's going to do is going to be for the best of the fire department. Now, the challenge for us is that he is he's on probation, for the lack of a better term. He's still in his first year. He's an outside fire chief, which is a rarity. We haven't done this and we haven't done this ever, except for the last two hired from the outside to have a fire chief. So he's kind of learning us. We're learning him a little bit. But he comes from Dallas Fire Department. They're a, they're a good fire department. They've got some great things and he's got some good vision, but it takes a while to get things going. I couldn't right. jump into a a new relationship with a lady with, with family of kids and stuff. And all of a sudden we're doing all these hundred things. I got to build into it. So he's doing that now and it takes time and trust and development. And that's part of my role, but it's also under my command. I've got two brand new chiefs that are a couple of months in their position. They were great fire officers. They're just doing a new role. I got a, a chief that just retired, a couple others that are young in their positions. So there's a lot going on. Some days I feel like a water bug. Do you love um, it? I do because I love the opportunity to go to the firehouses, which some guys, you know, they're happy to just kind of stay home and stay reserved. I love going in and going for the engagement. And if, you, if there's anything that's a great barometer for a chief is to walk into a firehouse. And if you're offered a cup of coffee, the opportunity to sit down with the troops, 
and they come to the room to listen, that tells you a lot. Sure if you're not offered the cup of coffee or the glass of water or, hey, chief, you need any help with anything, you better take inventory to what's going on. So it's, it could be organizational stress. It could be how you talk to people. It could be your reputation and how you've been of a person. And those things are not going to change quickly. But whatever you can to change, you should change. I, because I, it's something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so much there. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, to be able to – I mean, it, it – I guess, how was that for you, the transition, right, from going from fireman to company officer to a chief officer now to, I mean, you know, you are on a on quite a pedestal, and I don't mean that in a weird way. I don't mean that that you're better than anyone else. What I'm saying is the chief, well, of course, right, but a chief walks into the building, it's very different, right? And so, you know, but to be welcomed, and you talked about it before where, you know, you like to sit and chat and, and talk, and how else are you going to learn what your people need, if you're right. not visiting and getting to know them, how else are you going to be able to lead them if you're not listening, if you're not in that trench with them to understand that there's, you know, rumblings about this or we need this or it would sure be great to do this. Like you need that feedback. And the only way to do that is to be there, be present. Right. So, you know, and I look at my modeling from my early years in Orlando Fire Department, I, Jimmy Reynolds, uh, Tim Griner, Jay Griner's brother, uh, Shannon Raybon, John McCormick, uh, even Kathy Miller, you know, just a lot of people that have been over the years that have been involved in our agency that have cared about the people and whatever role they were given, they may not have loved it. They did the best job possible. But every chief you ask us, everybody asks, you know, who's some of the one of the most dominating personalities that you want to be emulate? Tim Griner name name comes up almost every single time because he treated people kindly but held them accountable. Firm, fair, and consistent was always his model, and it's exactly what I try to do. And I, yeah, I, you're right. I could come in, you know, I'm king for the day. I can come right. in and say, hey, wash my truck, do this, you know, take care of my trash, do more. I, I can get away with that maybe once, two, three times. Right. And after a while, what's going to happen to the troops? Are they going to do that because they want to do it, or are they going to do it because I'm telling them to do yeah, it? Hundred percent. And are they going to do the things that I need them to do on the outside? So if I, it's how you treat people. So. I've been treated good. They treat me good. I try to treat them good. And, yeah. and I apologize. You know, when, when shit things, when bad things happen, when we had a mandatory guys, uh, example. So go back to district chief. That was my, I, I, I liked it. I really liked the job I got now. I love the job I had before. I right. really loved the job I had before that company officer. Definitely. You're riding the rigs. You're immediately working with the troops. You see immediate effect, all that good stuff. But if you want to impact your agencies, and this is where a lot of guys get frustrated is that, oh, man, our agency needs to change. We need better leadership. We need this and that. You know what? You be the better leader. You step up, encourage more people at your level to move up, to right. be the change that needs to be. Because yes. if you stay a company officer, you're only going to change two or three people. You're That's not going right. to change the organization. So I, I, I volunteered to do that. I, I don't love the job I have. I'm loving the job I have. I have a great boss. Craig Hewlett treats us very good. He's very firm, fair, and consistent. He's got a mission also. But we have to lead a, a machine. And we got to constantly oil it and service it and take care of this and replace some parts. But the machine's going to continue going, and you can replace me and put somebody else in my position. So it's going to be up to how good I want to do yeah. it and how happy I am when I'm done. But if I don't treat people good along the way, that machine will fall apart. I'm sitting, and, I'm sitting here for the last hour listening to you, and you keep name-dropping a lot of people. And it makes me think, and I've been sitting here the whole time, and I'm like, man, he keeps talking about people, 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 people. You keep mentioning their names. It's important to you through your delivery that you acknowledge them and you talk about them. 
How important is mentorship? I mean, all these people that you list, you can list off their traits and qualities and characteristics. They've all had an impact on you. How important is that to you? And how important is that to somebody listening to this episode that is seeking a mentor, seeking somebody to learn from or to be tutored by? What Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, uh, you know, so, so mentorship is true, you know, is, is huge. And they don't have to necessarily be a fire service mentor. It's just a person in life. Yeah. But it, it all comes down to the qualities of what kind of person you are. So we, we gravitate to each other. And I think you know, we talked in the pre-show is, you know, an unselfish business doesn't tolerate selfishness well. So when, when we have like minds and people that care, and that's one of the best traits as a chief officer I think we could provide, is to care. When we care, we're going to find the reason why something needs to improve. And we're going to do our best. And we can be tenacious. That's another favorite word, is we, we're going to carry the message through. We're going to carry the mission through. But we need to support our people because that's what's going to be here for 25, 30 years. It's our greatest resource. We see it in all kinds of leadership programs. And the reason Simon Sinek, and even he advocates, biggest reason why he's got a, a thriving business is because we don't follow through with taking care of our people. But for mentorship, if you are – people can be a mentor and get mentored at the same time. Yeah. And it's a collaborative effort. But it comes down to, you know, Jesus was a great mentor. You know, he, he talked to people who didn't even know him to come walk around and, and follow the lands with him. Uh, you know, Hitler was a, a great leader. Bad message, totally different from what Jesus gave. But he was able to capture people because he inspired them into following something. Now, it's definitely a bad message. So don't follow that message. Yeah. Follow the first one. You know, follow the Jesus message. Uh, but you find somebody that aligns their values to yours but has something to offer. And sometimes it's just, it's guidance, it's uh, affirmation, it's understanding that, you know, the way I'm feeling is the right thing. And that's where, you know, go back to the fools, is to have that alignment with other folks that have similar minds, similar passions. It reminds you that it's okay to love this job, it's okay to be want to good at this job, to want to train, to want to advocate for others to be good at the job. And then know right now, may not be a no later. So sometimes it's going to be, I got to know, or the person says, no, I don't have time for that right now. Can I come back to you? Yeah. But I, I'm very privileged. I, I, um, I take it as a greatest compliment and I thank these people, but there's quite a few firefighters and I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled. Uh, and and I, this part I don't like, but you asked the question and I don't know what better way to share it. There's several other firefighters from not Orlando that we speak often and they're like, hey, can I ask you questions when I run into problems or when I've got questions about stuff, can I ask you? And, and to me, that is a tremendous compliment. Love it. Because it's, it, it's easy for somebody under my command to have to come to me because, well, That's right. I'm in the office next door. That's a convenience for, for one of these people to see value in something that I can offer them. But I also offer to them, don't just come to me, find others so that you get a consensus. So that if my way of thinking is way different from others, that you, I don't steer you down a bad path, but I would like to think that mine and anybody else that you would seek would be similar. We may just may say it differently, but I'm very humbled. I'm very honored that some of these people would consider me for the opportunity to talk to because I get just as much value out of them to ask those questions by getting the opportunity to chat with them and <laughs> learn what is another way that I'll, I can help take care of people. Yeah. So yeah, something yeah. else you said, too, which I thought was pretty powerful, and I, I really never heard anybody put it this way, and, it, and it, it makes perfectly great sense to me, is that 
it's okay to have many mentors, meaning you keep listing all these different people because of all the different traits and characteristics that they've shared with you and they've rubbed off yeah. on you or, or, or they provided something that was negative and you're like, I don't want to do it that way, right? You learn from these people and it's okay to have multiple mentors with different messages because it allows you to figure out who you truly are, right? And, yeah. and I love that. I absolutely love that. It's a nice way to put it. So, you know, you know, it was really cool, a cool moment in Walt Lewis's life. And I've had millions of them, but a cool moment, like earlier today, phone rings, it's chief Jerry Tracy, retired battalion chief, 49th battalion. Right. He, he's calling me. Yeah. It's cool. You know? So, it, and it's our connectivity. It's over the years. It's because of my brother introducing me to a lot of people through FDIC and the Jersey fire service and, and all doing influences, but he is a great, you know, he's one of my favorites because he, he will, if you ask him a question, he'll take the time to talk to you. He doesn't brush you off. He doesn't, you know, he's not, it, are you from where the Funiac Springs fire department? Oh, that's nice. You know, he will take the time to sit and chat with you. Yep. And I, I've gotten that from a lot of the great names that are out there. And you Bru know, I'm, just Walt, I'm just Walt Lewis. dude. I pinch, my, I pinch myself every freaking day. Right. Look every at all the people day. that you know and get to be around and, and share all this with, this is awesome. It is. It is absolutely. Um, if you asked me five years ago if I would have the people on speed dial that I do or people that I chat with daily would be friends and, and colleagues and brothers and somebody that I, I admire or, or, or they or they come to me with questions or thought like it is just unbelievable. And I think it's a really good way. We've been going for quite a while and I know we've just scratched the surface. So I think there's going to be a part two coming down the road. I promise you that, Chief. <laughs> No doubt. Um, but I want to say this because it kind of like packages up the whole conversation here, right? We talked about the fools a lot. We talked about mentorship. We talked about your career. And you're like, man, I'm just Walt Lewis and I'm a lucky guy. Like I'm a I'm just grateful for the opportunities that I have. And very early on, we talked about making your own opportunities, too. And all of this is that. I mean, this is all packaged up into like the highlight of this episode right now is that as as you and I pinch each other, you know, we pinch ourselves with the relationships we've built, the people we talk to, how these people make me better, you know, all of that, right? It's all because we've done the, we've done the groundwork. We're putting in that hard work though. And that's a big part of this that we can't skip over is that, you know, opportunity comes because of also hard work and passion and drive. And we all need to have that. And I think that people that want to mentor, whether they intentionally do it or not, are people that are rooted with the right things. They're rooted with a good message, a strong belief, and and ultimately the want and desire to do bigger and better. And I, I just it's it's just a great way to kind of sum up the last hour and fifteen minutes we've been going. Um, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Strong. Good. Well, I I appreciate the opportunity to share it. You know. Yeah. And it's, and it's with. And it's with guys. I mean, so again, you know, like you said, it started a conversation. My biggest influence, my brother, John, he's in the fire service, nine years, my older. Um, he had his tragic moments in fire service. Check out mm -hmm. his episode. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but he's he's also worked to make it better and, and to follow his lead. But he's never made it like, hey, follow my tail. You know, he's always walked beside me. Yes. Wow. You know? Yeah. You know? Yeah, so, I love that. You know, and Rob Moran and Steve Gillespie and Jimmy Kirsch and, and, AJ Jackson and Jason Blake and Jared Blake, just a lot of cool people that we've gotten to be able to teach with and stuff. And then from his group, I, I wanted to start another group on the command level. So with Chief Tracy's influence and uh, Anthony Avillo and Peter McBride and 
Dave, Dave Gallagher, you had him on the show. Yeah. Um, you know, you did the plenty of other people, Jay Blake again. So, I mean, a bunch of people that you get the circle around, it helps feed you, you know, it, it's, it helps perpetuate, it helps motivate. And, you know, you mentor and receive at the same time, you know, Rick George does uh, all kinds of people have done some really cool stuff to help make yeah. me passionate about what I am. And again, I'm still thankful. Well, absolutely. And the fact that you recognize that and the fact that you're willing to to pay that forward. I mean, you know, and that's the thing, you know, um, I think that that's the most powerful part of it is that, you know, we're better for sharing it. And if we are afforded these opportunities and the fire service has given us such great opportunity, then who are we to hoard that for ourselves, man? Let's go out and sing it from the from the mountaintops and talk about how good it really is. I love it. Right. Well, Walt Lewis, brother, listen, I we have just scratched the surface. I'm going to have you back for part two. We're going to reschedule, and then we'll cancel, and then we'll reschedule, and we'll cancel, and then we'll move the time. <laughs> Truth be told, that's exactly how this all went down, this episode. Um, but, man, that's life. Life gets uh, life gets in front of us. But as you said earlier yep. in this episode, it's, uh, you know, your your spouse, your kids, your family, and everything else. I mean, that's that's really what matters. And so... Brother, thank you for just sharing some time with me tonight and telling a little bit of your story. And um, yeah, for sure. Thanks I'm for having me. I'd yeah, we're definitely going to get you back because I, I, there's so many things that I want to talk about, even just firematically and operationally. I mean, I know how passionate you are about the job. I know um, Orlando has presented you unbelievable opportunities, um, along with a lot of tragedy, uh, but a lot of triumph as well. And um, I'd love yep. to capture some more of your story. So I will definitely get you on for part two, and that's going to be soon. We just got to get through FDIC first, and then uh, and then we'll get you back on, and we'll do another uh, forty-four thousand words, brother. Appreciate you. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, I'm looking Good. forward to FDIC seeing you and everybody else up there. Yeah. Um, you know, if nothing else, just it's just that camaraderie of the whole week, and uh, just the recharging of the batteries that's always talked about. So absolutely sad. Sad to see Chief Halton's not going to be there. I'm looking yeah. forward to the tribute. You know. Yep. Uh, Chief Rhodes is a perfect follow-up. Yeah, you know, I haven't met him yet. But a, a leader, so, you know, looking forward leader. to meeting him. Yeah. And uh, you know, so but uh, disappointed not to see Bobby this year. Sure. Um, but definitely a love, you know, a major influential person in the fire service. But without a I doubt, think Chief Rhodes and Diane are going to do a great job of what FDIC and good. It's going to be. Yeah, looking forward to it. I look forward so, to seeing you there. Yeah, Chief, absolutely. So thank you again uh, for joining me tonight. I truly appreciate your time. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. I'm just going to sign off the podcast, and I'm going to come right back to you, okay? All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Stay tuned for episode number two with Walt Lewis, assistant chief out of the Orlando, Florida Fire Department, original founder of the Fraternal Order of Leatherhead Society, The Fools, and a host of other things that he's done along his way. I think we only got through uh, like four chapters out of a 20-chapter book. So stay, stay stay tuned for episode number two with him coming shortly after FDIC. We're going to record another hour with him. Um, but uh, Chief Lewis, thank you for joining me. Guys, thank you for joining us and listening to the good word. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we got to talk about this job. Because when we do, we make the job better. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio.